0: Would you uh, join me in prayer before we continue? Father, I love you. We love you. And we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you speak to us, that we can know you because of your son Jesus. And we are thankful that there is a day coming where we will know you and be known in ways that we cannot fully comprehend or imagine. And so I, with my brothers and sisters in this room, we all pray in this moment, God, help us comprehend what is not able to be comprehended in this moment. Eternity. Glory with you. Would you be made really big in this moment, Jesus? Would your words stand as it will forever would you be in this place with us it's in your name jesus that we pray amen so we have been in a series called as it is in heaven where we have been trying to work through an understanding of what is heaven what is this place that is the pinnacle of christian hope and so we've been working through Revelation 21, and now we're shifting into Revelation 22 to try to understand it. And I was, telling, uh, I was telling some folks this morning, this passage in particular feels a little bit like tomfoolery to me, in that I feel like I'm, with one eye covered, very blurry trying to point <laughs> something to you. Because what we're grasping with is eternity. What we're dealing with here is something beyond our comprehension, but we're going to look at it together, and I think Jesus is going to be glorified in it. Probably like you, my wife and I love to travel, and when we travel, we love to go to Target. That might sound silly. (laughs) We love to go to Target, but here's why we love to go. Literally, uh, one of our trips to Colorado Springs, the first thing that we did, we got off the plane, we drove to Target. And one of the reasons why we love to do that is because for at least a small subset of people, we recognize that Target's kind of like a snapshot of what life is like, or at least what their spending habits are like. So if you go into a target in Colorado, the first couple rows are usually some outdoorsy type stuff. Texas, in the middle of summer, it's usually water stuff, bubbles and things to entertain kids. You just get like a snapshot, a glimpse of what life may be like for those in that particular area and place. And it's funny to me as I was thinking about this that the reason why we do this is because we're usually having so much (laughs) fun— And we don't want to go back to the parts of life that aren't fun. Like trips and travel and we're like trying to understand what life must, might be like here is because we're trying to figure out like if we were here tomorrow to stay forever, would life be like this? We're trying to get a snapshot of like, is life like this all the time if we were to be here? Because where I just came, it was kind of hard and it was kind of boring and it wasn't as joyful. Something ingrained in our hearts is to look ahead, look to tomorrow, look to the future. And we do that in our trips. All of us do that in some way, shape, or form in our life. Whether it's a five-year plan, which I like. I'm not hating on five-year plans. I like five-year plans. Whether it's retirement plans, whether it's even the most free-spirited among us, you, you, you want to fashion and mold and create a future that's different than now. And this is what it's like to be human we're looking for something beyond ourselves. Yet the question and the problem that always comes up, at least it did when I just completed my five-year plan a couple years ago and had to start over to another five-year plan, it felt not satisfying. Something was missing. Something wasn't quite there. Something wasn't quite full or complete. And it's because we're looking for abundant life, which as I say this phrase, We're tempted to be like, life, Tyler, what does that mean? Like I'm breathing in and out. I have life. What I mean is like joy and hope, beauty, something made beyond ourselves, beyond our circumstances, beyond our suffering, beyond our pain, like life and lots of it, abundant life. That's why the best of us and our most productive and our most ability to achieve and to, to complete something, we never feel complete. Because we're looking for this abundant life. And I think what we're gonna see in Revelation 22, one through five, we're gonna look at the ultimate five-year goal. We're gonna look at the ultimate retirement plan. We're gonna look at the ultimate, I wish that I was here, target aisles. We're gonna look at this and let it try to inform our present day. Let it try to inform our life in this very moment. Because heaven is not an escape. Heaven is not an escape. And it's not just for then. It is here, but not yet full. It's already, but not yet. There are aspects of it now in Christ that we get to experience. And so we want to look at that together. And what we will see is that abundant life is a relationship forever. Abundant life, everything we've been looking for, everything that humanity is striving for, if we were to peel back the pages of time, if we could get in a time machine and look what life will be like, it will be a relationship forever. And it's abundant. Abundant life is a relationship forever. And so, what can we learn about this? What can we learn about this abundant life with Jesus forever? We're gonna ha- see three observations that give us three implications that I think John the revelator on his angelic tour guide helps us see. So the first one, the first observation is this: He Jesus God is the source of this abundant life forever. He is the source of this abundant life forever. You'll see this here in verses 1 and 2. Look here with me. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. He is the source of this abundant life forever. So let's try to zoom in here and try to understand what John the Revelator is seeing from his angelic tour guide in this moment. So he's, he's peering into eternity. He's peering into what, what life will be like for those in Christ. And he sees a river. He sees a river and it's the river of the water of life. It's bright as crystal and did you catch this? It's flowing from something. What is it flowing from? The throne of God and of the Lamb. This river of the water of life is flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and it's going through the middle of the street. The last time we've seen water show up in Revelation twenty-one, twenty-two. we saw it when the sea was no more. And the sea in biblical terms is chaos and destruction and, and worry. And it's, it's pictures for really the destructive nature of sin. And it's no more, Revelation 21. Now we get to see this replacement and it's flowing from the throne of God through the middle of the city, which Peter helped us paint a picture of what that might be like. It's flowing through the people of God. It's bright as crystal. It's clear. It's peaceful. There's no destruction. The city's not destroyed. It's not chaotic. We're not worried about floodwaters coming over the banks. We're not worried about any of that. What we see is it's flowing, and it's flowing from God. It's flowing from Jesus. And what we see from this river on either side is the tree of life, which we'll talk about in just a second. But what I want us to understand here about this tree of life is it says tree of life, singular, Yet it's everywhere. (laughs) Did you catch this? The tree of life is on either side of the river. It's everywhere. Life is everywhere as John peers in. It's flowing from the throne of God as this river's going through. It's producing the tree of life, and out of the tree of life, fruit is being produced, and even the leaves, every aspect of what John is peering into, is purposeful for life. So here's the implication if he's the source of abundant life forever, what we've been searching for, what we've been hoping for, what we've been wanting in the deepest parts of our hearts for satisfaction, if he's the source of this for eternity, then what does that mean? What's the implication for us? Because he's the source, there is no scarcity. If he is the source, there is no scarcity. Did you see it? Yielding its fruit each month, The tree of life is everywhere and it's constantly yielding fruit. It is producing over and over and over again. And what John is seeing and what I think God is showing us in this moment is that abundance is everywhere. That life is everywhere and he's the source of it. There's no scarcity whatsoever. And if God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then that has implications for us. That there's no such thing as scarcity for us in Christ. God's provision is now forever and always. And there will be a complete absence of physical and spiritual want. And this is where this feels like tomfoolery a bit because it's like, even as I utter that word, I have about a list of 10 other wants in my heart. But they won't be present. They won't be there because everything we will ever need for the rest of eternity will be given to us from him because there's no scarcity. He won't withhold, he'll give freely. He'll give joyfully. I love the Narnia books. Uh, I don't know if you've read these books. Um, I talk about them sometimes when I'm up here. Uh, I love these books. I can't wait to read them with, with my children. And one of the reasons why I love these books, and I was struck by uh, someone saying this uh, a, few, a few months back, but something that strikes me about these books is how they reflect what can feel like the scarcity of entering God's presence in the, in the here and now. So track with me here for a second. You know, the Narnia books, if you haven't read them, it's children who get swept into this, to this, to this world, Narnia, to this land, where Aslan, a lion, is king and over everything. What strikes me about this, though, is that the kids are never around Aslan all the time. Yet, they feel most alive all the time when they're around him. And that's what I mean by this, like Narnia itself, it's like this picture for us of what is life like when we are around God? See, this book was written to help be an allegory of sorts of the Christian life and God. Aslan's meant to be a type of God, of Jesus. They're not always around him all the time, and they never enter Narnia the same way. In one book, they enter through a wardrobe. In another, they're summoned by a horn being blown. In another, there's rings that take them back and forth. They never enter the same way and they're never around them all the time, yet they're fully alive whenever they are. And doesn't our Christian life feel like that? There have been times in my life where it feels like the presence of God enters in so tangibly and I don't wanna move. (laughs) I'm like, God, I just wanna stay right here. I feel you, I'm thinking about nothing else but you, I feel loved, I feel most alive in this very moment. And then second later, sin creeps in. And then I feel like this tangible expression of experiencing God, his presence has just slipped out of my fingers. You see, like Narnia, we feel this. We feel nothing but scarcity. But abundant life as a relationship means that he's the source of it. He's the source of our abundance. He's the source of our life, which means that there's no such thing as scarcity. And here's the kicker. It's available to us now. We don't have to wait. We have to wait for it in fullness, but we get to experience the presence of the living God whenever we want in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've been around church for a while, this is when you would usually hear, you know, read your Bible more, <laughs> pray more. That's the way to do this. But it's more nuanced than that. And I, I don't want to just simplify that and reduce it down for you in that way. Instead, what I want you to hear is this. If we can experience this now, the invitation by reading God's words, encountering God's words, we are tuning our ears to hear him in eternity. Isn't that incredible to think about? That if we actually believe that these are the very words of God, that when we read them and we're with him and he speaks to us, we're going to be like, ah, I've heard this. I've heard this voice before. Isn't that incredible to think about? So it's not just, hey guys, read your Bible more so you can experience this. It's, hey guys, tune your ears for eternity. Because you get to experience it now. You get to experience aspects of it here and now. And your prayer life, the posture and position of prayer life is not one to where it's meant to be guilt and shame-inducing because you can't make time or you're not able to do it. But if you posture and position yourself to pray, you're preparing your hearts for an eternity of dependence. Because if he's the source of everything, of all of life to come, and there's no scarcity with him, then we get to practice what it's like to be dependent on him for every aspect of our life, here and now. We get to have some of that joy creep in, in these moments. You and I are invited to prepare now in the everyday life. So our first observation and implication of an abundant life as a relationship forever is that he's the source of it. He's the source of this abundant life and there's no scarcity in him, no scarcity and we're invited into this now. The second observation is this. He has secured this abundant life forever. Not only is he the source of it, but he's secured it forever. Look here with me in verses 1, and then we'll look in 3. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb of God. Then verse three, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Okay, so what we see here is there's this, it's a garden city. That's what John's peering into. We're seeing this this abundance of life is flowing out from the throne of God. It's coming from God. There's no scarcity in view. And now what we're seeing is this idea of at this point, this garden city, a tree of life is present And the Lamb of God is present at the throne. Both of these things are present. So the last time we have seen the tree of life was Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is the last time we've seen it in action. Humanity rebelled in Genesis 3, did what God was telling them not to do, rebelled against their creator, wanted their own relationship, their own self-governance, wanted to dictate what is actually good and evil in the world instead of receiving it from God. And so they were banished from a garden. They were banished from it because the tree of life was central. Our friends from the Bible project, I think this picture is right here, kind of gives us a a rendering of it. The way that the Hebrews kind of talked about and structured is the tree of life is like in the middle of everything in Genesis. And it's it's like a temple. It's just pulsating the presence of God out over everything. As humanity is in perfect relationship with who God is. Yet this next picture showed us shows us that what happens, we encounter another tree on the way. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Where we recognize in that moment, in that place, the desires of our heart corrupt what was good and right with us and God. And so we see this reality. This picture of the tree of life, we're banished. It's gone. Then all of a sudden it pops up here in Revelation 22. But the key words no longer will there be anything accursed. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is nowhere to be found. The corruption that was brought in by us and our sin and rebellion is gone in this moment. Why? Because of the Lamb. The Lamb of God is repeated twice here, verses 1 and 3. Isn't it incredible that the Lamb of God is shown up here twice? Here's why it's incredible. In Revelation, when the Lamb is showing up, it is to signify Christ's death. So, how can Christ's death be an image that's repeated so much in eternity? How can it be repeated so much in eternity that is full of life? Why? It's because for eternity, you and I will get to remember that Jesus secured all of this for us. Jesus secured all of this for us. That's why we get to see the Lamb. No matter what, we will never graduate from this good news that Jesus is the reminder of this. That he secured it all, that we didn't secure it all, that we couldn't secure it, that we made our choice on the way to the tree of life. Our choice was the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, but Jesus made his choice to die on a tree because of our choice to go after the wrong tree so that we can have an abundance of the tree of life forever and ever and ever And we get to be reminded of that for eternity. The sacrificial lamb will never not be a thing for us. And that is a good thing. That is good news. Here's the implication of this. If he's secured this abundant life for us forever, the implication is that there's no corruption. And we see that. The tree of knowledge of good and evil doesn't show up here in Revelation 22. The curse is being rolled back from Genesis 1 through 3 and we see just the tree of life in abundance everywhere. There's no corruption whatsoever. In eternity, we will never move past the gospel, the good news that Jesus took care of this for us. We're gonna be reminded of this forever and for always. My sons love wheels on the bus. They love it. They have for the last two, it's been like a love affair for the last almost two and a half years. Like when they were like one month old, they would just start wiggling themselves to it. But something strange has started happening over the last couple weeks. I've been taking them to daycare and I'm playing on my Apple Music. I have wheels on the bus in the search field and I play what is usually their song. And they've started screaming, another one. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, click another one. Five seconds later, another one! one, different one, different one. Literally, we actually can't make it through a song anymore of Wheels on the Bus. What used to be like, I could just see their little hearts. They loved it so much. They had so much affection for it. It's now corrupted. Like even my two and a half year old boys are experiencing corruption in their love and desires and affections. The same type of corruption that you and I feel. The same type of trip to the knowledge of the tree of good and evil that you and I feel now and will feel until eternity. But here's where the commendation for me to you is don't let your love for Jesus be corrupted. Don't let your love for Jesus be corrupted. If you think that the saving faith that you've had in Christ, that the sacrificial lamb, the atoning work, his life, death, and resurrection is just your ticket to entry, you're gonna be disappointed. We will be disappointed when we get to eternity because it's not just the ticket to entry. It's everything. Because so much corruption is in us. Something had to deal with it. And that something is someone and his name is Jesus and he loves us so much, he secured it for us, and now there is no corruption in this new heaven and new earth. So when we peer into eternity, we see nothing else but Jesus, nothing else but his sacrifice, nothing else but his atoning work. Never graduate from it, never think that you can, never think that you're gonna move past or elevate to some higher spiritual reality where you don't need Jesus's death anymore. Because it's not true. That's the knowledge of the tree of good and evil and it will keep you out of the tree of life. So the second observation and implication, he secured this abundant life forever. So there's no corruption. The final one that we see is he is there. He is there in this abundant life forever. Look here with me in verses four and five. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. I literally thought for a while, I was like, how do I communicate this? It feels like it's just right there for us in verse four. We will see his face. Here's why this is profound. We could never, ever, 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 ever see his face before. Moses, the lawgiver, says that God personally like wrapped him up and buried him, (laughs) was never allowed to see his face. He could see his shoulder because he said, if you see my face, you will die. What we're seeing here in verses four is really the overarching question of the entire Bible. How does a holy and good God dwell with a corrupt and sinful humanity? And we see it answered and done and completed in fullness here. We actually get to see his face abundant life forever the observation of it is that god is there that's why it's a relationship he's with us he's next to us and we will be his people it doesn't just stop there did you see this name on the foreheads this is the idea of that the fact that we don't need covenant reminders anymore because we don't need something to point to him to remind us of who we are because he's right there reminding us of who we are in him We'll have perfect communing, delightful worship, and it'll be always and forever. And then the beauty of this: how else do we know that he's there? Night will be no more. There will be no need of light of lamp or sun, because God's presence will be completely and utterly engulfing all of us forever. <laughs> the idea of light here is associated with presence, that God is everywhere. That he is everywhere. not only will we see his face, but he's everywhere, always and forever, at all times. He is there. Okay, so what's the implica- implication of this? If God is there in this abundant life forever, the implication is this: there's no betrayal. There's no betrayal. If God is with us, if He's really, really there, then there is absolutely no betrayal. This is where in my time of prayer and prep this week, I literally let out an audible and said, this is too good to be true. This is too good to be true. God himself with us forever. This is too good to like the cynical side of my heart started to engage and go in overdrive. And I was like, this cannot be true. And here's why I thought this could not be true. Cause I would literally have this thought how could anyone in the world want to spend eternity with me? How could anyone, in the, if they really knew who I was, they would want to spend eternity with me? Forever? If they really knew what I did, what I think, what I feel, how I view the people around me, how I don't love people the way that I should, they wouldn't want to spend eternity with me. But it's right here. Eternity with me, forever, always. There's no betrayal. The other reason why I said there's absolutely no way that this could be real is because all I have ever experienced is betrayal in one shape, form, or another. Same for you, correct? We have experienced betrayal on all sorts of levels relationally, emotionally, physically. The betrayal knows no bounds, but in a life abundant forever, if he's there, then there's none of that. It's all gone. This is good news. This will never happen with Jesus. He will never betray you and me. He will never turn his back on you and me. He will be there with us forever and always. His face looking right at us, telling us, I love you. I love you. I care for you. Besides wheels on the bus, my boys really love trucks. They really, really love trucks. They will literally sit on our ottoman with hot wheel trucks, big trucks. If they're not fighting over it, they will just start tinkering with it. Every little detail, they want to know about it, hear about it, understand it. They, and one of their most favorite things in the entire world is if I kneel down next to them and start playing with trucks with them. Like the amount of life that comes in, their heart and life, their, their, their face, they just brighten up. And they can't speak all that great of English right now, but they just start talking to me. This jibber jabbering and this truck and that truck and garbage truck and fire truck and police truck and RV truck and semi truck and cement truck. They know a lot of trucks. They're just like going over and over and over and over again. And I wish that I could tell you that as a dad, that the majority of my time is spent in that place, knelt down next to them, showing the same interest that they have. But it's not. The majority of my time is very self-absorbed, very disinterested in hearing about the same amount of truck play (laughs) that I hear about every day. This is when this hit me for good news, friends. God will never be at that place with you and me in eternity. He will never be disinterested in you. He will never be disinterested in me. He will kneel down and we will see his face. We will be with him forever and ever, experiencing joy, not experiencing betrayal, not even the little micro-betrayal of my boys. I just wish I could just give them all of my affection, but I can't. It's corrupt. I can't. But God can and He will. And the good news of this for us, friends, is that we don't have to just wait for that. Matthew 11, Jesus peered back what I think a little bit of eternity to say, Come to me, those who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. If you yoke yourself to me, you will find rest. I think Jesus, in that invitation, was peeling back a little bit of eternity to be like, Hey, in the already, but not fully yet, you can have rest with me. You can have relationship with me. You can have interest with me. I will not betray you. I will not not turn my back on you. And as we experience that with Jesus, friends, when we experience betrayal with one another, because it will happen, I'm sure it has happened, because Jesus at the center of who who we are our very core, our very being, our very identity, we can forgive because we're like, Jesus forgave me. He's never gonna betray me. So even though I betrayed you, or even though you betrayed me, I'm not going to anymore. I'm gonna strive for this and this already, but not fully yet. So he is the source of this abundant life forever. He has secured this abundant life forever. He is there in this abundant life forever. There's no scarcity, there's no corruption, and there is no betrayal. So, what now, friends? What do we do now? Now that we know that in eternity, heaven, the new heavens and new earth, God's relational presence is everywhere all the time, what do we do now? I think for some of us, and I say this because this is what I felt this week, we need to confront the sinking feeling of is that it? Is that eternity? Is that heaven? Really? It's God's relational presence everywhere? That's all there is? There's nothing else? We need to confront it because as we're faced with eternity, we're faced with these real exposure points of self-absorption. That Jesus cares and loves and is trying to take away from us and will continually to one day in Christ we will get to see him and no longer be self-absorbed and no longer care about just ourselves only. But until then, we need to let the prospect of this abundant life with Jesus forever as a relationship sink into our hearts and expose us. Expose the priorities. Expose the misalignment. Expose that If this is the pinnacle of Christian hope in life, then this should be the pinnacle of our everyday priorities. That eternity should be what we are organizing our life around because Jesus is eternity and we should be organizing our life around him. So friends in the room who are believers, do not be fooled that this life is your ultimate existence. It's not. It is a partial one. Your ultimate existence is coming with Jesus in fullness forever. And it's abundant and it's beautiful. There's no scarcity or corruption or betrayal. So organize your life around it. Worship without abandon, corporately and individually. Your affections turned completely towards him. To my friends in the room who may not know Jesus yet, who may be on the periphery of Jesus, I just want to put before you the alternative path that this life is it that this pain and suffering and corruption and betrayal and scarcity is it outside of Christ that there's nothing left outside of him sure there will be good times sure there will be good things But when eternity comes, outside of Christ, these are not available. But they are in Christ. And so to my friends who don't know Jesus, he's here, Matthew 11 saying, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you abundant life forever. This is our hope. This is our joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Jesus, thank you that eternity, the eternal rug is not being pulled out from us. That's not bait and switch. That abundant life with you forever is truly amazing. And I confess, I'm sure as many of my brothers and sisters may be or maybe brought to that this prospect of eternity with you feels very small in my heart and soul, but I don't want it to. I want it to feel big. I want it to take up the landscape of my heart and affection. I want it to take up my thought life not as an escape, but as like hope and joy that perseveres me that holds me, that holds us. God, abundant life with you is eternity. It's heaven. It's forever. I can't wait. To my friends in the room, God, that may not know you yet, Holy Spirit, would you do something in them? Would you warm their hearts in such a way that they would look at you differently, Jesus? Jesus? Father, help us worship at this prospect of eternity with you, abundant life forever with you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.